0: Hi everyone! Welcome to a ninety-minute Winner up with me, Scott Noble. Um, joined this after, this morning by Jonathan Gibbon Hayes, Hartlepool United Women's manager. Before I actually introduce Jonathan, um, just like to thank Daz Holloway for booking the facility at East Durham College um, this morning, and also just like to take people through, in terms of what the podcast actually is. So the podcast, the idea of the podcast is obviously to to try and get special guests every month. Um, at the moment, it is a monthly thing. Um, we could look to do the weekly thing more often if we do get uh, more guests, more availability, but at the moment it's just a monthly thing based on the football, um, whether it be women's game, disability, mainstream, uh, PE. So the, the idea is, like I said, every month to try and get people in to talk about different things um, involved in the game of football. Um. So obviously, like I said, joined by Jonathan Gimmen here this morning. Uh Johnny, thanks for joining us. No problem. Um. You, yeah. Obviously, we've known each other for probably five, six years now. Yeah. Um. First met in the academy at Hartlepool United, and obviously things have went went on from there for you involved in the club. Obviously, our my career has took a different direction, but um, obviously how how is the the role going at the women's. Women's team at the moment.
1: It's amazing. Obviously, I'm a massive Hartlepool United fan. I um, had a season ticket for as long as I can remember. Um, take my little boy now, so he's part of it. Um, obviously, Hartlepool has been the blood. Remember the early days of being eight, nine year old, watching big um, League Cup games against Arsenal when Dennis and made his debut, um, Crystal Palace in the FA Cup and stuff like that. So for me to actually work for hartlepool united is a um, is such a um, an amazing opportunity for me um i'll take you back to a funny story when i actually got the job at the academy um all those years ago when i was offered the job by john newton the academy manager at the time i was i was buzzing straight on the phone to me old man um, but the funny thing was i went to meet jim provett um we spoke about this a way because he's now um, a teacher um when I first got the job at Hartlepool in the academy, I was doing November, and it was the last the last day of the month. And they had this massive, what we class as like a porno tash, it was like the craziest tash ever. And I got introduced to Jim Provitt, and he was like, I don't think you can work in the academy with that. And I was, when he explained it was November, he had a bit of a laugh. <laughs> um, obviously, the parents seen me that first night, and must have thought... Um, as they come from the Wild West. <laughs> so it was quite funny, but um, oh, the opportunity. That first night, I remember I saw so, like, vividly going down and obviously John had offered me the job and he said to me, um, you're going to be working with Daz Holloway? And I went, what, Daz Holloway who played for Sullivan that I've like, followed in the Premier yeah. League and followed him as a footballer? And he went, yeah. yeah. So that was quite daunting that I was going to work with a, an ex-professional footballer and I was starting out in academy football as a coach. Uh, but all I can say is that there shouldn't have been any worry um, we've now gone on to be really good friends me and Daz and that's probably one of the reasons we up here today and one of the reasons how to women are up here training on a regular basis and this being our home facility is um, is down to Daz really
0: I was going to say obviously working with Daz I don't know Daz as well as yourself but I met Daz in the academy as well and obviously sometimes there is this sort of stigma attached to ex-pros that they're not very approachable, and you know they've got this this ego. But for me, Daz is a is a great bloke, and would you would you say that the relationship you've got with Daz now has led to like like building on that in terms of where where you are now?
1: Hundred um, percent, and he he probably he probably embarrassed me saying this, but he's probably been one of the um, people who's inspired me the most because, like you say, that stigma of being a professional footballer, and I can remember sitting down. Before a game on a Sunday and after games on a Sunday, when we'd obviously plan between ourselves the bits and pieces for the players, and we'd set up and remember him. Just sat down like speaking about when he was a, a pro and playing for Sunderland, and just sharing them stories. Like I just felt really humble that he was willing to, like, for me, he is someone who's he's he's not he's not arrogant. He is very approachable. Like, even now, like, if I'm having some tough days, like, I can pick up the phone and it's one of these conversations where he'd probably admit we're on the phone for 40, 50 minutes and we'll yeah. talk about anything and get advice. And he's just um, like an inspirational person for me, really.
0: Brilliant. Obviously, it's important to have people that, like that in the game, isn't it? Because, you know, I've, I've found that in the 10 years I've coached, it's, you know, a majority of my. My coaching has been involved in grassroots football, and there is a lot of inspirational people in the game. Whether it be ex-pros, or whether it be people just starting out, and I think it's always important to have people behind you. In in terms of a you know an ex pro especially, um, they've been there and done it, so they understand the, the struggles you might you might find and getting to where you want to be as well. Well, one
1: thing I always take for me moving forward, like I always want to be a better coach and a better manager because I think every day I want to be better, and I, I do a session and I analyse it and think that can be better but I remember I did the, um, the youth award with obviously being a Harleypool it was me and Daz um, Gary Borgie from Newcastle yeah. um, and I always remember Pete Levin um, at the time he was at Middlesbrough I think he was 14's coach and now again as someone we drop messages to occasionally but I remember being on this coaching course with these, all these ex-pros and obviously I played the game but never was that elite and remember someone like Peter Levin who played for Oxford MK Dons and just telling us stories about Dean Matteo and how he just uh, the way he worked and I was just sat there thinking and, and then I think Lewis Dickman who again is someone who, who I classed as one of my best friends in football. Yeah. Um and that was through he saw something in me which I always like I'm proud of that. He'll always support us because he said I've done all these courses with the FA and you're someone who, who just strives to be better. And if someone tells you, Johnny, you do that better, you're one of these coaches who doesn't go, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. You go, right, no problem, I'll do it. And I remember being on this course and I was sat there going, like, I feel a bit out of place for all these pros. And, and, and Peter Lev said to me, why, Johnny? He went, you've coached for 18, 19 years. He said, we've been professional footballers. We haven't coached for that long, so you can... You can share some of your knowledge to us, and, and that sort of sat with me really, 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 really well. Um, just the respect that they showed me because they're saying, look, you've worked in grassroots, you've you've done district teams, you've done this, you're doing that, so we can learn stuff from you. When even when Pete's gone, Pete went in straight from Middlesbrough and assistant manager Kilmanick stayed in touch. He would message me when he was coming to scout a couple of games and I got the games with him. Yeah. Um and now he's assistant manager in Dynamo Brest um in Belarus. They've just won the league. Um I think they will be in Champions League qualifying this season and it's just like to see someone like that who's doing really well in the game but still have time for someone like me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely it's I think it would, ultimately the you know, the two, three minutes we've just spent talking there is, is about people. It's not yeah. about coaches or anything like that and I know obviously someone you, you work closely with the H- Hartlepool women is um, Ryan Davies yeah. who we obviously you know on a day-to-day basis I know due to CPD events um, with the Foundation of Light he does he works for the FA obviously um, and I, I've got a lot of time for Ryan I've, I've got a lot of respect for Ryan obviously he took over Chris Welburn's role at the FA mm-hmm. and obviously got a lot of time for Chris as well but for me Ryan is, is such a He's such a laid back character, but he gets a lot out of his sessions, and he, you know, you, you can see that that respect level straight away in terms of the way he approaches people, and you know he doesn't have any sort of, um, what's the word? Doesn't have sort any sort of background in people, but he also doesn't have any sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the word. Arrogance, arrogance. Yeah, he he treats people how they should be treated. Um, and I, have you found that yourself since? Well,
1: Ryan's someone um, when I did my B license down in York, um, yeah. we were on the course together, um, and we we became good mates. We had the likes of Nicky Weaver on the course, who was yeah. an absolute legend of a pro, but just again humble. Sat in a room where Eric Steele did a masterclass. And he realised it's um, Nicky Weaver sat there and goes, oh, all right, Nicky. And he's said, oh. And obviously Eric Steele coached, at the time at Man City, had Peter and Kashbish Michael, Joe Hart and Nicky Weaver. And it was just yeah. like, you just sat in a room and you just listened to the stories. and. But Ryan Davis was someone I became um good friends with from the course. um At the time he was working at the Academy of Man City yeah. um in, in women's game. And when I left put to get the job at Middlesbrough. Um I took on the role as um I went as first team coach to Middlesbrough in the women's game and then became the reserve manager. Yeah. Um I tried to get Ryan involved because he was someone who I respected. Um I've got a lot of time for. I think he's an amazing coach. And at the time he came up and he had a look around, he was impressed but he couldn't commit. Yeah. Um and he just got the job um with the FA. And he's someone who would just like massive effect. But at the time, we and we joke about this now, because of his links at Man City, that summer I was due to go and watch Pep Guardiola deliver a session um, for a Rye. And then Rye got the job from the FA and started yeah. just before that summer. So I do have ever word. But he's just a very, very good coach. Um, we both applied for the air licence. Um, thankfully, Ryan made it. Did he? Um, yeah. So he starts in April. Excellent. Um, but I think this is this is the credit of the, someone like Ryan in, in the game is that, for example, Thursday night was just our session last week, and Ryan had been working um down in Blackburn, doing his FA job, and he drove from Blackburn to to make training, um and I think what you take into consideration at Hartlepool is that, we don't get paid, yeah, so it's not like a cash incentive. It's just he is for me and I, I message him. After and said, look, no one appreciates it more than me. The fact that you're willing to travel two and a half, three hours <coughs> up the road to come and do a, a session, um, and then back down again, and it's just yeah. he's like that. Um, he's a great guy, um, and I'm lucky because the other coach I've got with me, Andy Everington, was a an ex pool footballer. He was released when he was about nineteen, so he went through that whole process of eight to nineteen, um. And when the opportunity come at Hartley which was over a year ago now, Andy is the other guy I wanted to, to get involved with me and Ryan. Yeah. Um and I offered it to Andy and he snapped my hand off and I thought that's what football's about, it's getting people that you can trust, good coaches but people who you can trust ultimately Absolutely, um yeah. and respect. Um and Andy's a, a great coach and um like a good ally for me and we spent the first few months together, sort of mentioned to him about Ryan, um, and Ryan, at the time, couldn't again commit. And then we had a meeting up at East Denham, actually. We were going to... Um, the former manager, Craig Ignit, was a, a big supporter of us, so would allow us to come up and watch sessions. He would spend 30, 40 minutes after training talking to us. Um, we'd followed our games and stuff, which was really good. The uh, feel supported by the club, and, and we are. Um, and then Ryan came up, and he said, Look, I can I can get involved. I'll miss some tr chooser sessions which are I suppose not our main session so we can get away with and he, he can get the most games. So um we're both over the moon and I know the players have massive respect for him. Yeah. Um as do I really.
0: Do you think obviously with yourself and Ryan generally over the past two three years i have came from an education background because of the the job you do and obviously Ryan working with the FA." Generally works with uh, coaches in primary schools as well. Do you feel like that education background has benefited the players?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's a bizarre one because obviously Ryan was a teacher before he got the FA job. Yeah. Um, I've worked in the same um, secondary school for this was my twenty second year now, um, and Andy, who's our other coach, is a primary works in primary yeah. schools. So. For me, I've always. With my football, has got to be professional. Um and I've tried to bring this and the three of us and I because of education and it being quite strict and having all these rules, I think we've tried to bring a massive like professionalism to what we're doing. And yes, we understand that we still classed as grassroots. Our players pay subs. Yeah. Um we've tried to like bring this pr- professionalism and now we look we we've got eight games to go and we've got a chance to get the what we class as the football league for women. Yeah. Um which would be massive for Hartlepool um and then you will see again the level of professional and step up as yeah. we know um the levels that we go up but yeah the education background is massively important because for me that's where I started so I've got this like massive respect so my coaching journey started in when I first got that job in in the secondary school so and now I've even when I hit a year job I I run the boys and the girls football team yeah. So it's it's massively important, but for us, well, for me in my Hartlepool role, the fact that I can work in work in a secondary school, um, people know I am, um, which is nice. I was stopped in a in a shop once with my wife and my son, and normally it's oh there's Mister Givenhurst from school, but no it was, there's the Hartlepool women's manager. Yeah. Sort of blown away and. Young girls talking about my players and um, wanting to be like them was massively, massively inspirational.
0: Yeah, obviously, yeah, I think it's it's always a lot more humbling when you you re- refer to as a as a title as a, as opposed to just a you know a person as a a professional during the day. Um, I personally always like it when I see you know kids and parents who I've worked with in the past out to work some might be in the shop in the metro centre or whatever, or whatever it may be, and and just nice to have that informal conversation with them. I, s- I suppose it's it's probably the same for you, but again, knowing that them girls want to be the next best thing in women's yeah. football is is it's you know, good and in because
1: obviously Hartlepool, we have massive support from the club. Um, Mark Simpson, who's the the media guy, and does all the commentary for Poe's and does everything. Hartlepool United is yeah. probably our biggest supporter, um, and like you said for me being a pool manager is like I'll tell you another story we we played at Victoria Park last year um, and the did everything like what I'm used to when I go to the men's game yeah. with the walk-on music the commentator it, yeah. um, and I remember walking out last year we um, we played Wilds End and I remember walking out after my players seeing them line up shaking hands and I wasn't like it meant oh, so much to me. Yeah. Imagine being a Hartlepool United fan walking out of that tunnel and going to stand in the home dugout as a manager. Um, I was just blown away. Like I've never probably felt emotion like that in football. Um, and yeah. and obviously hopefully got it to come again. Yeah, I was um, going to
0: say, as a football, as a football man, as a Hartlepool man, would you say that was probably the the your favourite moment in the game so far?
1: Hundred percent favorite moment in the game. Um, my mom and dad were there. My wife, my son was a ball boy. And my uncle was there. And like you said, uh, to be with a close mate like Andy Everington and being that dugout out together and just like you say for him who was played youth team and and for both of us to to step out on that pitch. You know what I mean? I've played there as a as a young kid and as a as an adult but it just didn't mean the same and I then got interviewed after the game and that went on the website and all that stuff and just felt like what it would be like to be a post manager yeah like ultimately for me working in football would be a dream like if I could have my full-time job in football it would be a dream but I've got to be realistic it's really really difficult to yeah, get in full time yeah. and um it was the same with applying for an air license 60 places that there was and there was 900 applicants and I understand why I didn't get on because I'm not full-time in the game and yeah. the current level where polls are is probably not seen as a priority.
0: Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, moving on slightly, um, obviously I have, I have a very inexperienced in a women's game. i The majority of my, my coaching life so far has been involved in boys or senior or whatever it may be, academy whatever it may be. Um, in the past, there's been a again a stigma attached to the women's game that you know the standard isn't as great and you know the tempo and other things that put the women's game down. Have you seen a change in the past few years that suggests that people may change their
1: opinion on that? Yeah, I think obviously, say the England women's team having success and the fact that we've got a professional right at the top. Um, I've always said this in interviews that some kind of money does need to filter down go yeah. down. Um, we're lucky up here. Um, obviously, since the sport of does at the beginning of the season, we've moved up to East to be training where the men train. Yeah. We've got amazing facilities um, and I feel like we're very professional with that. Um, but looking around, I think Sunland's demotion, shall we say, because they didn't have the finances was a, um, an absolute travesty, but Obviously keeping the manager, Ray, and she's someone I've spoke to and I've even learned a play from this season at times, and yeah. they've turned it round and, like, they're a credit to everybody in the North East, and, like you say, I started off at Middlesbrough, um, and Lindsay Stevenson was someone, I remember the first meeting I had and she just told me about staying humble, and, like, humble was the, the word, and walking in there and festing, first day and having, like, an interview, shall we say, and... You've got like so Bianca Owens who is someone who I think is one of the most talented footballers I've ever seen. Um to work with someone like her, um, Rebecca Bass who's been a professional footballer, um, Emma Kelly who's now gone professional, she's at Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and to work with those type of players and I remember I had a meeting with them and I was blown away by the standard of those and then I had to go and deliver a session. Um, to see if I suppose like an audition, shall we say, yeah. and I absolutely loved it so did there and, uh, and that was that and it's just like you say lower down we do need more support um, it's definitely changing because there's another story like now obviously in my role at school I, I do the girls team and the boys team Yeah. Um, but last year I can remember playing a, a county cup game and he had five girls in the lads team hmm. um, and this year we have just had a game last week and one of the hardest lads I've got in school, he was a good footballer, signed him a high <coughs> school like that, when he was nine. Yeah. Um, asked for this girl to be in the, in the side, and I just think that's progress the fact that it's much more accepting. So the boys are seeing girls as as like an equal. And, and let's be honest, she was probably man of match again. Yeah. And this is a girl who is probably going to go on. I always joke with her dad. I've got her signed up when she's 16 or a <laughs> cool, but potentially could go on and play at the highest highest level she is very very good but again someone who's very grounded yeah good good so she's um, it's good to see that that, prog- that progression and I know there's a couple of like England 17s and stuff who've played for the school teams with the lads team all the way through and that's got its benefits because there's a difference physicality and stuff but You can see the improvements when you you've been able to mix, and I think that's uh, that's progress being able to, especially mix them up into sixteen year old now.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something I've seen. Like I said, I don't, I don't take as much notice of the women's game as I probably should, um, because of the fact that I am a coach. But I don't just see myself as a coach of you know this age group or this gender or whatever it may be. It's it's important I think to keep fresh with ideas, and the women's game for me is one of the most you know the most often, and coming and freshest things in the game, if you like, the, the, full, the full thing. Um, so it's good to hear that people in your school are starting to be, be a, bit, a lot more on board with it as well. Um, and I've noticed certainly when I've done deliver PE sessions as well, um, that there's a lot more inclusion with gender, genders coming together and obviously taking part together. So that's great to hear. Um. Obviously when we first met, you were a coach at the academy, but now you're a manager. Um how would you how would you say that the rules differ?
1: Yeah. Well when I started so under elevens, um as you remember, we used to have to set those tar- three targets for each player. Yeah. And then do those match reports that took forever <laughs> on a Sunday. Um Did you do the one a Sunday, did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. And or I would do it on Monday morning when I got to work. Um and that was hard work because it was quite demanding. Yeah. Having those I think the hardest thing I found is, at that age where we had to do those meetings twice a year and potentially release the football. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't uh, nice. yeah. That was pretty heartbreaking. Um, and interestingly, those 11s are now under 16, and I was up watching a, a couple of games, and now one of them had signed a contract. Kyle Crosley, who was a great player, centre forward. Yeah, he scores at ricks every game. He's got to buy him a new pair of boots, and um <laughs> He'd signed a scholarship at Markham and Newcastle and Sunderland were interested, Newcastle was boredom. So that lad's going to get to be a, um, a scholar at Newcastle, which I think is great. We, we had a great group and, like you say, me and Daz working together was fantastic. But I'll tell you the difference now from then and working with that tight rage group. I probably found it easy to switch off as a coach, yeah. um, as a manager. Definitely not. Um, always in contact with the players. There's always... If there's something going on, I'm quite open. I've always said, look, um, if, it's, if you've got anything you need to speak about, just give me a ring. And um, very rarely switch off. Always thinking about football. Yeah. I, I, I even messaged somebody on Christmas Day, potentially, to try and get a player in. Yeah. Um, and it just it takes over my life. But luckily... My wife's quite supportive. Um, because if I'm not messaging someone or talking to players or speaking to Andy or Ryan and texting them, hmm. I'm sat planning. Yeah. I'm quite like I sit down and I'm old school, I've got my book out, my pencils and I'm drawing and and I keep going back to it and I'm writing notes and I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about the next game, looking at fixtures and I Can't switch off, so even like my job is so important ahead of a year and charge 165 kids, yeah. Um, but there's always football in the back of my mind. Um, thinking about right, it's Friday morning, I need to have sent and a match day preview, yeah. Um, to see more to go on the post website or Sunday night, the game's finished, and I'm then sat writing a match report to go on the post website, yeah. <laughs> um, but I I'm lucky and I'm touching Woody. I've been in charge for Hartlepool for just over a year now. I've only lost once in the league in that period of time. Yeah. But it took me three days to get over it. I was so annoyed. Um, and we played them last game of the season, which potentially could be a um, decider for the league. Yeah. So I'm already plotting that revenge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're not a revengeful man, are you? No, I just...
1: <laughs> I believe in my players. I've got a really good squad. Yeah. Um, and I believe we've got lots and lots of quality, um, and they deserve to to get that opportunity to play at the next level. Yeah. Um. So I don't feel other teams are better than us. That's just not me being like arrogant or anything. I just feel like we have a very good squad of players, and it'll t- take someone either us to have a really off day, or them to be absolutely superb to beat us.
0: Yeah. So obviously, with you know, you mentioned the fact that. There are obvious differences in being a manager and a coach, but and the fact that you're not involved in the club full time in terms of a day to day running of the of the of the club is is probably hard on your full time job sometimes um yeah but when it comes to a day to day a Sunday when you play a game, obviously, how does your game look in terms of do you let the coaches go and set up and warm the warm the players up or do you get involved are you hands on or
1: It depends, um, but like you're saying, I think humble is always a word. I know it's not like I am the manager, but my coaches are really important. So for me, uh, a match day would look, especially a home game, we're here for 12 o'clock, players meet at quarter one, um, we'll go out and if we're on the 3G we've got all the goals to move so it's safe for the players. Um, We'll set the warm up and then... I tried to take a step back so Ryan and Andy would do the warm up. Um because I'll do with 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 the secretary doing like team sheets, um, sorting referees and stuff out and just taking a step back to to be able to manage because with the three free was it gives me that opportunity. Sometimes someone can't make it if Ryan's away with the FA and stuff, then I'll step in and I'll do part of the warm up it's the same which I think's really important. But it's nice to just to step back. So even when we come into the dressing room, I tend to speak to them yeah. before the game, I name the team because it falls on me. Yeah. Um, the three of us make the decision on a Thursday after training, but we do have communication to, up until the Sunday because um, potentially we might change our mind, and, and we have. But then that's, people have got an opinion, I think it's important. But then Sunday I'll speak to the players, <laughs> But what I think is important, it's not just my voice, so if we come back in before we kick off, maybe Sandy speaks, and then at half time, Ryan speaks. Says, I think what I learned from the academy going back to those years is that we give too much information and there's too many voices. So, for example, like you say, I might just have let Daz speak and then the next time I come far, I would speak Yeah. because there's nothing worse than someone speaking for five minutes. And then somebody else, 'cause they won't even remember what you said first. And even that's insane in football, so like you say, one of them will speak at half time and I might just I might just drop something in. Um but nothing more that that's gonna confuse them and might just reinforce something that I've I've said previously. But I think that just shows that we quite together as a, a coach and staff and um I remember being at Middlesbrough and yeah, you know, I worked with two really good ladies, Lindsay Stevenson and Kelsey Byrne, who's full time in the yeah, affair Kelsey, and quite yeah. high up and when I was first team coach there, like Lynn's as the manager would speak, then Kells would speak. I'd never spoken. and I understood that because why would you need three people speaking in yeah. that half time period? But I've learned from that so it was it was good for me because Kelsey is someone I can speak to still about football. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that the players see that togetherness that We try to create with the players that we've got with the staff.
0: I was going to say, you mentioned before about having pride in the players. Obviously, you've got pride in your coaching staff as well. So, as long as there's a, the togetherness, you know, higher up, it, it filters down into the players. And certainly, when I was involved in Berkeley Town last season in the Northern League, um, something I had a lot of admiration for the manager for, Paul Beat, he we had a meeting at half time before we had a meeting with the players so we'd go into a separate changing room have two, three minutes to ourselves and it would always be, be right well you say this and I'll say this and it would be two, two max and you've already mentioned that you know for me I, I agree with you I think three max, three people talking giving information for me it just completely defeats the object um, and like you say there it might be you before the game it might be somebody else half time it might be during the game it might be different voices. but I think
1: when there's three years as well so to say when we train and when we are there we we plan it between us so like fares are gone. Um Andy did like the starter. Like the warm up starter, which was decent. Then Ryan did a bit. I did the man, I did Fez. Yeah. yeah. Um but sometimes I might take a step back and Ryan and Andy'll deliver. Yeah. But that means I've got an opportunity to go around players and have individual conversations and um 'cause I think like that that's I'm quite a um as a manager as well even still I'm not laid back but I care about my players yeah. so I'm always checking in on people I can tell when they're down and stuff and I suppose I'm one of those managers who's like, i will always put an arm around you and I think that's yeah. how, always how I've been because I go back to when I was playing and I won't name them because it's embarrassing but I wanted to become a coach and a manager because I had a bad coach Right. who um. Who could have got me out of the game full time because I felt I was tr- treated really badly mm-hmm. but I suppose then that that's the sort of inspired me that when my opportunity came that I wanted to be someone who inspires and I think like the fact that some of the players I coach at Middlesbrough have, have followed me to Hartlepool um, and one was playing at a high level last year but she said the opportunity to come and work with me again was she wanted to do that and I think for me, if I take a step back as a manager, as a coach, play, that shows that I've, I've done a good job. Yeah. Because uh, players want to come and follow and, and, and come and join the journey. That, like For me, at the Hartlepool, I don't need to move to what we see as a bigger club because I feel like I can take Hartlepool up to where we need to go. And keeping me staff and... And the core of me players who want to be there and are up for the challenge. Well me in football. Some people decide, look, it's not for me, I, I'll find it too difficult to play at the next level. Um, but I think it's important that we've got this massive togetherness. Um and it's huge because we start the season with a squad of twenty five, we'd really thought, Look, we're gonna need numbers. And that was tough because they used to have a message on a Friday and say, right, girls, you were not in the squad. Yeah. And that was really tough. And people were probably saying, well, well, Johnny, like 25, when you're going away at Osset at the beginning of January and you've only got 13 players due to injuries, and we've been decimated by injuries, a few people have left, have not bought into what we're trying to do, which is football. Yeah. Um. But we're now just coming out the other side of, like I said, there was a player... Chelsea Bassnett who's just coming back from an ACL so when we took over she was waiting on her operation so for us she's ready to play now so it's like having a new signing of someone who we've not outplayed so like credit to her for the adversity of coming back from an ACL
0: absolutely brilliant Uh, it sort of leads on to the next next question next um, next part really so you mentioned there about um ambitions for the club. Uh, personally, do you see everything you can do as a coach at this club, or
1: yeah, like I said, if someone said to me, look, I can give you the same wages as you get in your job, and you can work full time for Hartlepool, that would be like the dream. Yeah, but I've got to be realistic. Yeah, of course. Um, I think ultimately what I want is, yes, we do get support from the club, but ultimately I'd like us to be fully attached to the club. Um, A bit like Harrogate are in our league and um, Farsley are um, fully attached to the club, that would be amazing and ultimately that comes down to the success of the men's team yeah. so hopefully they'll get back to the Football League and that's a conversation. But yeah, um, eight games to go, turn our hands, we've just got to win our eight games and it's, I know that sounds simple but I'm just going game by game and that'll get us into the National league, and a, even if even if we can get up in next year is about just trying to stay in that league and just and then progressing up yeah I just generally believe I could be in this job for 10 years more like it's I love it yeah. it's Hartlepool Um and I'm hoping that we can get Hartlepool United higher and higher up the chain and obviously making the North East proud and just, like you said we've got amazing facilities it's an amazing club um i've got some i've got amazing footballers in my team it's just about keeping them because i think for me a big thing this year is a, a new teams two or three leagues above yeah. we're after my players and they've bought into what we're trying to do here and they've stayed and they've stayed for for the coaching staff they've stayed for the the friendships that they've built in the team and i think we've created a really good environment um. So ultimately, me personally, um. I'd like I keep going back to, it. I'd love to coach full time, um, with Hartlepool. First of all, um, I am gonna keep trying to get on my air license. Yeah. Although people might not say to me, Johnny, it's not important for your level. It's important for me as a coach, as a manager, who wants to keep development, because I feel like on these courses I learn a lot. Yeah. Um. Some friendships that you make on those courses that, um, make football easier, um. But I just want to keep improving and getting better, and if that means going another course, so I didn't take the knock back too badly. I understood. I could have spat me dummy out like someone, um. But no, contact the FA straight away. Um, like I said, go back to Kelsey at the FA. She got back to me. Um. I'm now gonna do some work with. Claire Robinson-McDougall who used to be manager at Sunland, and then was the RTC director I think she just got the job at Northumbria right, with the yeah. FA so I'm going to do some work with her Great. Um, and also with Hartlepool I'm doing on Friday to um, watch a session with Dave Chalner and Swains and, and people like that so I'm lucky I've got a club where I just say look I'm trying to progress can I come up and, and they say yes so I'm hopefully going to for spend some time with Dave Chalner and pick his brains as well. So obviously next time the application comes up I can say, look, I've I've took on board what you've said.
0: Sort of back yourself up a little yeah, bit. I've like that, yeah I've met everything on the
1: the UA for B. But it's the next steps so I've completed all that. Um I'm working with Claire, I'm working with Pools, um I spoke to Betty Langley who's someone who's the Newcastle United women's manager but also from a uni manager. Yeah. Maybe he's got to spend the day with her. Um I mentioned Lewis Dickman earlier, who worked for the FA, he's now head of coaching at Sunderland. He's someone else who said I can go and spend the day up there. So yeah. just trying to take in loads of different environments. It doesn't necessarily have to be women. But I think it's just as important that you can go up and see academy stuff and men's football stuff where you can pinch a few ideas. and It just shows the people who make that decision that I'm trying my best to, to make my application. A successful one next time.
0: Yeah. I think that the A license and well, the B licence and even level one and two, I think something I've found definitely is as much as the qualifications important, the networking's important as well. Like meeting people, um obviously even when we started Hartley Pool, like it was it was yourself, it was Dan, it was Alan, it was Rob. And then from that went out on my my B B licence a couple of years ago, because I've been in that environment. I I found it easier to to discuss the game with people and whereas before maybe it wasn't as easy because you haven't been that sort of front of house person to present yourself towards. But you think how daunting it
1: is and I remember the Bay licence at York and there was, um, like you say, Nicky Weaver. You talked about the network and four or five years on and I'm coaching a ride now from that. But uh, delivering a session in front of like 30 people you don't know and I remember it was only on day one or day two that asked me to do it but it was filmed and recorded and watched it back and you know what it was alright it wasn't great and then you're taking on all these like I suppose criticism and feedback from people you don't know but then you just thought you know what it's massive for your confidence willing to step up in that environment and deliver Absolutely, and,
0: yeah.
1: and I think even the sessions on the B licence you know like we were lucky we uh, there was a guy from London I think he works for Spurs now he was uh, working for the FA at the time Wayne Burnett and a few people like that and they came and I remember feedback of one of my sessions and I left it and they sat in a room and they were going through and just said like Johnny if I was a footballer I'd just like love to work with you because you make it so enjoyable like your demeanour, the way you are with your players, is just like inspirational. Yeah. And that's for that was for people who've been like full time footballers, managers, and who, who now have gone back to work at a club like Spurs, and you were like, I was like blown away. Um. But I'm pleased to see even when the B license started to change now because I remember. I, f- I I didn't pass my initial assessment, but Graham Clark is someone I admire. Um. A coach that was sixteen's up here, and I travelled to York with Graham and he's he was someone who when he did his assessments yes that the one off assessment had a big part but he looked at all your sessions that you delivered but I think the big thing for him was the pack because remember how big that pack yeah, was, it was nightmare. you had to go away and do all these hours of coaching and I'd put so much work into that and he he weighed everything up and again I did take not passing really really tough but I got back in touch with Graham and Graham come and done my reassessment and I remember him saying, he said, look, you've had a few injuries now in your session, I had under-16s at the time, um, a lad who's just got in at Pools and he said the fact that some of these players have gone on county trials and have turned up to our session, yeah. speaks volumes as you as a coach and like, to just pass that and I remember passing my youth award as well and Lewis Dickman had said it was one of the best packs he'd ever seen and... Cause i put so much work in it i remember doing the assessment for the youth award and he came and it was probably the quickest one hour and a half session about it, it just went so quickly and it was just like but for me and i think why i was going back to him, why it's always like if i take a step back and i feel a bit proud is that yeah i was from a councillor state where we weren't meant to have expectation as bad as that sounds and i'm not meaning that and it just but we weren't meant to and my dad worked every hour under the sun to provide. Um so for someone to come from the area I have, um, to be have a B to have a, a a youth award, to have a degree in sports coaching, um and I've juggled that the last three or four years while working full time and coaching. Yeah. Um like I'm proud of myself, like it's yeah. uh it's been a massive learning curve but one that I hopefully can then take to inspire at school and at Hartleypool. Moving down the line that look you you can do these things if you put your mind to it.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, obviously we've spoke a lot about your ambitions um in terms of the Hartleypool women, where you see yourself and the club going in the next few years, the evolution of the game, the women's game, um so obviously really appreciate appreciate the chat today Johnny, Um before we finish obviously did ask you to put together your England 11 for the Euros um, there's no doubting that I'll have different opinions to you but yeah. um, you know your team is your team but I also want explanations why ok right. so go yeah. for it
1: so Henderson in goal the guy who's obviously Man United Cape at Sheffield United yeah not that I don't rate Pickford, because I do. But thinking ahead to the Euros and only a few months away, I think he's the keeper in the Premier League. So, I'm going on farm. Um, Obviously, some people might disagree, but I'm going on farm. Right back, I think Trent Alexander. I, think I, just I agree, yeah. It's a no-brainer. He is absolutely amazing. Um, left back, Ben Chilwell. I just think, again, he's got a bit of quality. Um so with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester who's um, going to help centre-backs <sighs> I found this difficult, you know I think Harry Maguire gets in but I don't think he's in great form and mm. I'm just going to throw this out here. I'd probably play Joe Gomez with him just because of how much he's probably learning with Van Dijk and yeah. the success of Liverpool um, and I think that's a, a thing I think that's a big thing for me like Liverpool, how good they are and the success they're having, then you'd have a few with their players in. Yeah. Again, when I look at my midfield, John Anderson, my God. Absolute. Like I say, I think someone that paper probably didn't read and now realising how good he was. Um and obviously I remember I listened to his podcast with Jamie Carragher and when he was at Sunderland and Roy Keane and I think he spoke up to Roy Kane and everybody else was like cowering in the corner. <laughs> And then he said the next day he got a call to go and join the first team because Keane was impressed with his um with his character and yeah. stuff and um but again me and you being in academy and looking at like age and height and he was someone who was very small and developed late so yeah. it's, like I say he's luckily he's not one who's passed through the net um, Harry Winks will probably play because I think Henderson his role has been. He's been a bit more favour-forward at Liverpool, so he probably play Winks as a four. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably play Oxlade-Chamberlain in there as well. Again, back to full fitness now and I think he just gives you a little bit energy. And then, obviously, Harry Kane if he's fit.
0: Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, Raheem Sterling, no-brainer. Yeah. And then, for me, obviously people will be looking at Rashford and if he's fit, but Jadon Sancho is an absolute no-brainer. Follow the gem football. Massively. Um and I don't think there's a game goes by where that, that boy hasn't either scored a goal or had two assists. Yeah. Um German football is a big one for me. I've, I've I've been been a few times to Germany and watch games and um bizarre it's much more efficient, it's so because who would have thought you you matched a ticket for your Dortmund or your Bayer Leverkusen? It's also your train ticket. Is it really? Yeah. Um and obviously costs a lot cheaper yeah. so I'm planning on going back um, next year for my 40th taking in some RGM football Yeah, so that. I would go that would be my team yeah. I,
0: would, I would probably not disagree with too much of that but I think we've lost any, any hope of Jordan Pickford following this podcast now um, <laughs> with Dean Henderson in, but I agree, I think Dean Henderson is probably the former goalkeeper back four, I would probably go the same Obviously, that could change next month with injuries and stuff, yeah. and uh, something similar, but no, I think that's, that's a winnable Euro 2020 team, to be fair, Johnny.
1: It's a co- like you say, it's, it's that co- confidence that the Liverpool players will bring. Yeah. Um, in that environment, the league, I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it's just that winning mentality, hopefully, can be brought into the England squad. Yeah
0: something we haven't probably had enough of in the past is it that mixture no, of English think, players
1: to credit to Gareth Southgate I think he's um, he's done a good job but I do feel like the World Cup was one that got away Yeah. Kane should have crossed it Don't even go <laughs> Don't even Kane go should around. have crossed it but, yeah. <laughs> but again that's decision making in a pressure environment isn't it and, um, it is
0: yeah absolutely yeah.
1: It's, he's obviously a world class footballer yeah. but at that time was caught in a moment and thought, did what he thought was best and then that's football isn't it it's it is. about uh, opinions might and change decisions.
0: might change in four months time you never yeah. know um, so that obviously concludes episode one of 90th Minute Winner with, with me Scott Noble and very very um, enjoyable episode one with Johnny thanks very much for coming along Johnny
1: uh, it's my pleasure absolutely loved it
0: um, so join me next month for episode two where I'll be joined by Martin Scott who will be talking about the stigma attached to people in sport with speech impediments and the research he's been doing into into that. Okay, join me next month. Thank you very much.